China has a quarter of the world's Alzheimer's patients. With the country's gray population growing rapidly, the number of patients will likely increase fourfold by 2050. Meet the patients, their families and caregivers, and discover the anxiety, struggle and misconceptions behind one of the biggest problems of an aging society in our documentary, Aging in China, Living with Alzheimer's, on CGTN Radio. For podcast listeners, search The Top Story and find the program on all popular podcast apps on September the 21st, the 30th World Alzheimer's Day. Beyond the, he- Beyond the Headlines, this is World Insight. Hello and welcome to World Insight with me, Tian Wei. Starting this week, world leaders gather in New York for the annual top general debate at the United Nations. It is intended to explore solutions to intertwined global challenges. This year, the 2030 Agenda for Sustainable Development Goals, also known as SDGs, is at a midpoint. Though the agenda is a strong commitment, a reality check today shows it is in deep peril. And developing countries are voicing more concerns about the lack of progress, even reversed under the combined impacts of climate disasters, conflicts, economic downturn, and lingering COVID-19 effects. As an active contributor to global development, China has always stood firm in its commitment to the welfare of the mankind. It has put forward the Belt and Road Initiative, Global Development Initiative, Global Security Initiative, and the Global Civilization Initiative, and the concepts of a community with a shared future for mankind. All these are for the SDGs. I have recently talked to Hao Liang Xu on SDGs and development. Xu is the UN Undersecretary General and Associate UNDP Administrator. We heard from the UN Secretary General back in the month of April uh, in terms of SDG progress Mm -hmm. report. And here's what he said. He actually sounding an alarm about the lack of progress of sustainable development goals. Progress on 50% is weak and insufficient. Meanwhile, we have stalled or gone into reverse on more than 30% of the SDGs. Now, can you give us an update where we are. What the Secretary General you know, has uh, said is uh, a reflection of the serious lack of progress uh, for the world's you know, effort to achieve the Sustainable Development Goals by 2030. It is a reality check. Reality check. And uh, more startling indicators I can give is that out of the 140 targets for which we have data, only 12% actually are on track. So you can see that only 12% of the SDGs are on track. So the problem is really serious. And uh, in some of our other you know, uh, studies, for example, we also have some indicators that shows the, the challenges we're facing. For example, the NDP has been publishing the Human Development Index since 1990. We see that in the last two years, two years consecutively, we see a decline in the overall you know, human development achievement since we started tracking this data three decades ago. And also between 2020 and 2023, as the impact of the COVID-19 crisis, as also compounded by the climate crisis and the impact of the war in Ukraine, 
165 million people fell into poverty just over the last few years. So we have really a lot of challenges in this regard. Now, all these challenges are in front of us. They are very clear. But yet, what about our solutions? Do we have clear solutions? You know, uh, but before we get to uh, the solutions, I wanted to expand a little bit more on what we're seeing today. Yes. Right? What we discussed earlier is uh, some of the indicators. Right? Um, but uh, then, you know, uh, more specifically, for example, we see a world that is moving forward, but uh, at a very different speeds. So that, I think, is a challenge. For example, you know, at this time, about, uh, let's say, 65 countries in the world moving forward at, let's say, 4% or more growth rate a year. Right? So they're moving at uh, modestly good you know, speed of growth. Right? But again, about 65 countries are moving at less than 2% of this growth rate. That means they are really experiencing very, very low levels of growth. Right? And, uh, and about another 55 countries moving between, at between 2 to 4% of, right. of, the, of, of the growth rate. Right? That means these countries are moving, but at very different speed. Now, more developed countries, they are dealing with some of the challenges in the macroeconomics that they have faced over the last few years, mainly through the adjustments of the interest rates. So they are able now to uh, pivot, pivoting you know, towards trying to lower the interest rate that they have put forward to deal with the inflation. But for a lot of developing countries, in fact, you know, they are dealing with the consequences of uh, uh, monetary policies mm. of some of the developed uh, countries, such as uh, the, the U.S. You know, uh, Federal Reserve and also the European Central Banks. Mm. Right? So the challenge of all these different speeds and the interest rate changes mean that for developing countries, a lot of them are dealing with the debt overhang that they have accumulated in the past, mm. but also now with the rising interest rates in many developing countries, and they are facing the high cost of borrowing for future you know, developing expenditures. You have been working in the development area for decades. Have you ever seen something like this before? I think we have seen uh, cyclical challenges of you know, uh, many problems, such as you know, uh, the issue of debt crisis in the past. But I would say that uh, this time around, you know, the situation seems to be really serious. Based on our studies you know, in the UN and in UNDP, 40% right, of the developing countries are facing the question of debt distress. That means uh, they are on the verge of not being able to pay, repay uh, the, the, either the, the debt service charges right, or let alone the, 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 the capitals of, the, of their you know, borrowing. Right? And, uh, Many developing countries are paying more than 10% or sometimes 20% of their budgets just for that service, for example. Right? So that makes it almost impossible for them to not only invest in what they need to deal with every day, let alone you know, spending money for critical transformations that are needed, such as digital transformation, energy transition, and so forth. Right? So actually they were held back by the debts of yesterday, preventing them from planning for tomorrow while at the same time suffering today. The multiple crises of the last few years have put so much pressure on all countries, but more so on developing countries, right, to having to 
you know, uh, increase their budgetary expenditure to deal with the impact of crisis, such as increase the social, uh, social protection expenditures, right? The cost of uh, uh, medical services for their population to deal with the, the diseases of the COVID-19 uh, and, and so forth, right? So, so this multiple crisis of the last few years is something that we have not seen before. So from the UN perspective, how do you see the urgency and the desire coming from what many call the global south, mainly developing countries and emerging economies, trying to seek a bigger voice in global governance, and also trying to make sure their issues are being heard, while at the same time solutions can be sought globally. You know, the SDG agenda, the, the 2030 development agenda, is a universal agenda. So all countries of the United Nations have endorsed it. So this is a, a one. And uh, in the lead-up to the SDG summit in September this year, there has been a lot of discussion, obviously, among member states about the lack of you know, uh, progress in many areas, right? and also to recommit themselves to the goals that they have set up in 2015. So in uh, August, uh, early August this year, the member states agreed on a political declaration for the SDG summit, which reaffirmed their commitment to the Agenda 2030 and the Sustainable Development Goals. Right. And they also uh, called for transformative actions that are needed to make up the lost progress. Mm -hmm. And they called for acceleration of the SDGs. And they called for adequate financing and the capacity development to enable developing countries to materialize the promise that has been made to the people of the world. So there is a, a political commitment for this. So as I mentioned earlier, one of the biggest challenges today that the developing countries are facing is the question of financing, adequate development financing. So here, the Secretary General of the United Nations has put forward a proposal, right, what he calls the SDG stimulus mm -hmm. that tries to actually focus on the question of financing through a number of concrete actions that can be taken. For example, uh, in the first area that he called for in this SDG stimulus is for the, the world, for especially the G20, the major developing, uh, developed uh, and the major you know, developing countries to support the resolution of the debt distress of developing countries by taking a number of concrete measures such as lowering the cost of long-term borrowing and to, for example, further suspend the payment of you know, debt servicing, right. to build automatically in lending agreements the clauses that will relieve the borrowing countries the obligation to pay if you know, certain events take place. So this is one area to deal with the, the debt issue. Another area in which you know, he proposed for some concrete solutions is to ask the multi multilateral development banks to leverage more of what they can to lend more right. within their existing balance sheets. Right. And, and uh, you know, he calls for the multi multilateral development banks to increase their lending from $100 billion a year to $500 billion a year. Two things, if I could. One is that we are seeing 
lack of funding coming from developed economies to the developing ones. For example, earlier on the climate change issue declared by the G20 over the past few years has not been realized. That's one thing. The other thing is the issue of interest rates by developed economies. For example, in the US and also in Europe, that is as some economists argue, the root cause of many of the problems that developing countries are facing these days. So without addressing the root causes, how would the problems be addressed sufficiently? I think, again, the answer to your question is a, a complicated one, I would think, mm -hmm. okay, right? And uh, first, let me talk about uh, the question of official development assistance, for example, because uh, you mentioned the, uh, the financing from developed countries for developing countries. Right. And the, traditionally, uh, the question of ODA immediately comes to mind when you talk about the developed countries helping developing countries. But the fact is that the ODA is at about 140, $140 $145 billion a year. Uh, it has really not increased much. And there's uh, some increase you know, uh, over the last year of the amount of ODA in absolute terms. But this increase is mainly because of the residues of developed countries' response to COVID-19 crisis and also to uh, expenditures at home to respond to the cons consequences of war in Ukraine. Okay. So the, the real development of cooperation through this ODA has not increased substantially. Right. This said, even with $140 billion a year, to the developing countries, it is uh, not sufficient by any means, right? because the, the, the size of the developing countries have, have also increased. Right? So the relative importance of ODA has changed. How does the UN, looking at these ever stronger desire and voices coming from the global south, how are their voices are likely to work into uh, the agenda and the pathway toward 2030? This is a big question, I guess, that the midpoint summit in the UN likely to address and should be addressed. Uh, yes, it is a, a fact that uh, there are quite a few regional or other, you know, multilateral. multilateral organizations and, and or initiatives that are developing very fast. Right? For BRICS, for example, my understanding is that more than 20 countries have applied to be members of the BRICS. Right? And uh, uh, at the same time, for example, uh, the G77 and the China right, also has a very strong and distinctive voice you know, in the United Nations. Right? So are other you know, regional groupings. Right? And this said, you know, uh, I would think the United Nations is still the place where all voices can be heard and all voices have a, a stage uh, to have their voices heard. Right? So the United Nation, Nations is still the most representative international organization that can provide a space for these voices. For all the problems that we talked about earlier, the lack of SDGs, progresses, right? I didn't mention some more specific issues, such as the backlash on women's empowerment and the gender equality in the world. UNDP just published a report about it recently. For all these problems, we, the world urgently needs multilateral solutions because the bilateral solutions or regional solutions are not adequate. So for, for the issues that the British are discussing, for example, 
the G20s are discussing, right? Or other regional groupings are discussing. At the end of the day, you need the support of all membership of the United Nations for this to have the international legitimacy. So I don't think that there's a contradiction between what the regional or other international groupings are pushing for. If they are rooted in the Agenda 2030, right, and in the SDGs, I think we're on the same page. So we need the synergies of all you know, voices so that the world you know, is developing to be more pros prosperous for everybody, right? leaving the one behind and to be more peaceful. Mm. Not only multilateral groupings or mechanisms, but also individual countries, you see some of them are providing uh, new ideas and solutions uh, to their partners. Well, since we are based in Beijing, mm. just provide an example coming from China. China has been providing aspirations like Global Development Initiative, a Global Security Initiative, Global Civilization Initiative, while at the same time working with partners on development issues uh, through the Belt and Road Initiative. This is inspirations coming from one country with its partners around the world. So how do you see these efforts coming from individual countries, including China, you know, one of the largest developing countries in the world? And how do you see this is likely to give new impetus of the discussions and the implementations that we are likely to have through UN and other global mechanisms? I think this is only natural that individual countries, especially large you know, and emerging developing countries, are taking you know, their own initiatives to support global development. I think it is healthy. And uh, we know that the, the challenges of the SDGs, Agenda 2030, are global. Right? And uh, uh, the solutions also need to be global. Right? The Secretary General has uh, said very clearly that we need a rescue plan for the SDGs. Right? So we need the effort of everyone right, to actually you know, help us deal with the challenges we're facing. You mentioned the, the uh, initiatives of China such as Global Initiative, right, which the government has said very clearly is aligned to support the achievement of the SDGs. SDGs right? yes. So I think this is a welcome. I saw you visit uh, to India earlier, and certainly now you are, uh, as a private citizen, visiting China, but certainly you're already working <laughs> in the office. So how does the travels, how do the travels like these be able to provide you with more ideas and reality check about how developing countries and global south are working today? Yeah, I think uh, uh, the, the reality, as I mentioned earlier, is that uh, you know, the, the world is changing, right? In the past, when it comes to developing cooperation, it is about developed countries, OECD countries, uh, the Development Assistance Committee countries, providing financing and technology solutions to developing countries. Why this is still critically needed, but the, the size of the economy, the capacities of developing countries right, have also increased substantially over the last 40 years. So the nature of development cooperation, the nature of international cooperation has been changing. Right? So what this means to us is that we also needed to look at our role today in supporting the achievement of the SDGs. For example, what the NDP is trying to do right, is to look at the complexities of today's development challenges right, and also try to achieve 
impact at scale. All the problems we've been talking about, right? For example, I mentioned the gender backslide. Right? The, the gender-based violence is so serious today. Right? And based on our latest studies, women in the world, on average, can only achieve 72% of the potential of men when it comes to their own, you know, uh, uh, you know, achieving their own potential, right? For example, and uh, uh, in many countries today, for example, we are, we are asked to deal with, you know, the fact that okay, our the city's landfill is full, 20 years ahead of the schedule. So a, t a city of 10 million people have no place to put their solid waste, many solid waste, right? So some governments are asking us for help, mm -hmm. right? And uh, when it comes to climate challenges, when it comes to urban issues. No problem is simple. No single ministry can solve any of these problems. Right? So the issues are all interconnected. The SDGs are interconnected. So what we're trying to do is, okay, what can we do in this you know, uh, situation? Because the, the, the traditional, single, uh, let's say, single point-based solutions, our governments most likely don't need us. They have their own capacities today. Right? But the challenge that we're all facing is a sense of being stuck today, okay? The governments feel we're stuck somewhere, right? We're not making progress when we have all the solutions, even when we have money, right? And uh, a lot of people use, for example, they feel they're stuck because they're not seeing the opportunities for their future, right? So how do we deal with these kind of challenges? Mm -hmm. In some countries, for example, we've been asked to deal with the question of depopulation. People are leaving their countries in droves. So this is not a simple issue, right? There's, uh, it's not about aging sometimes. Aging is one source of you know, depopulation. But the fact that educated citizens leaving their country, seeking opportunities elsewhere, reflects complex challenges at home. So what, what the NDP is trying to do is to work with our governments through a systems change approach right, to deal with these kind of challenges. That calls for a different approach. For example, so I can elaborate more if we have time. We're also working at scale to support our governments to deal with the question of financing, for example. You know, we, we are supporting at this time 85 countries in the world to develop what's called integrated national financing frameworks, INFFs, that seek to put all sources of financing together to support their stated development priorities, for example. So there are a lot of other issues we're trying to do to achieve impact at the scale to deal with the complexities of today's development challenges. At a time when we have so many problems in the world, as we mentioned some of them earlier, people put a lot of, pin a lot of hopes and aspirations to organizations such as the United Nations. Yes. But as you also mentioned, sir, people are disillusioned by the feeling of being stuck and okay. also by the lack of progress going on right now. So you have seen the UN, while working as a member of the staff, evolved over the years. So from a historic perspective, how do you see where the UN is? Is it a life and death situation that UN is facing right now? Okay. It's a very hard question to answer in a way, okay. Uh, first, uh, something that is, uh, I would say, within the UN's control, right? Again, take the SDG summit as an example. 
I mentioned the SDG stimulus plan that Secretary General has put forward to address the question of financing. But for the SDG summit itself, UN is also putting forward another set of initiatives that's called the high impact initiatives, right? In different areas of transformation that you know, the UN believes can stimulate, accelerate the achievement of SDGs, such as education. There has to be a strong push for education. Right? Jobs, our study has shown that jobs is a critical for inclusive growth, right? not just growth, inclusive growth, that everybody has an opportunity. Right? The areas of energy transition, which is, provides energy to 700 million people today, I believe, still don't have you know, electricity, right? but also, also create green jobs in the process. These high-impact initiatives also include some of the enablers, such as digital transition, governance, and others. Right? So there's a set of initiatives that UN is putting forward right, to take concrete actions immediately after the SDG summit, right? so that the next seven and a half years are not business as usual. Right? But this is what the UN can do. But to the other part of the question, uh, answer that I want to provide is that the impact and the scale of the solutions also depends a lot on our country governments. Mm. Mr. Undersecretary General, what a pleasure to see you once again. Thank you so much for sharing your precious time with us. Thank you very much. It's a really pleasure to talk to you. And that's my conversation with Hao Liang Xu from the United Nations. That's all the time we have for today. I'm Tian Wei on behalf of the team. Thanks for being with us. Bye.